This is Podco Media Networks. It's the Demystifying Data Podcast with Chris Clegg, where we deconstruct the tools and techniques marketers need to make data more actionable. Here's Chris. Hello, welcome. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Demystifying Data. My name is Chris Clegg. I'm your host, and I am excited to talk to you today about the whole idea of developing a benchmarking database and why that is at the root of answering the question of what metrics should I ask? And it's a common question. You know, we get that from agencies and from brands all the time at Portma. We, you've got the activation plan in place. You've got the marketing strategy. You've worked to develop the messaging. You've got a good target consumer, a well-defined target consumer, and you've selected a routing and venue schedule that you believe is going to get you to that target consumer at a reasonable amount of time. And it's now time for monitoring and maybe giving some thought to reporting and recap reporting specifically. But that's still probably three or four months off, if not longer. So you're really about status reporting. And, and it's at that stage where training's coming up and you've got to be able to tell field staff what are the metrics you want them to record after each day of activity. And uh, you're wondering what metrics should I ask? And so we get those questions. And, and those questions are awesome ones to ask. And you can't be asking them soon enough in the process. But there's a very specific answer. And I believe that that answer is ultimately, what do you want to benchmark on? What do you want to be the archive of your brand or agency's experience that allows you to go back over what you've done and learn from it? How can you use the history and the well-organized history cataloged with data to understand what worked, what didn't work, and why. Whether it's for an industry, a brand, a venue type, a market, uh, how do you operationalize that in a way that allows you to establish a record of information that's going to be useful and actionable? And so you got to have a philosophy, you got to have a strategy, you got to have a position around why you're doing this marketing in the first place and why you think it works. And we've certainly talked about that quite a bit in this podcast. And I, I won't go into details, but really, if you, if you search back through and you, you look at the three questions that really matter that we've covered before, it's those questions around reach, efficiency, and quality. Like, how often am I getting to the right kind of person? And am I doing that at a reasonable level of efficiency? And am I doing that with the right people? Is it, is it, if I'm trying to target uh, men over 50, am I getting to men over 50? If I'm trying to target people that have an outdoorsy lifestyle, am I getting the people that have an outdoorsy lifestyle? And so there's got to be metrics around that that have got to matter because you're trying to make choices between different places, different channels, different ways to promote. And you're choosing an experiential channel. And so you're choosing that because you believe it's the right place to find the kind of people that are going to respond to your message. And therefore, you got to monitor whether or not you are correct in that assumption if you want to have any kind of criteria of success documented. So you got the, you got this reach and quality of reach as an overlay. And then you've got this idea of impact. You know, are we creating some kind of intent where it didn't previously exist? And I use intent in the because it's abstract enough, because that'll apply to a lot of things. But when the rubber hits the road, you're talking about purchase intention. You're talking about willingness to talk to an agent or talk to a recruiter. Are they going to walk into the store? And maybe for some larger purchase items in a, in a more complicated or extended purchase cycle, maybe you're talking, it's simply about consideration set. Are they even going to think about you or think about the brand you're promoting when it comes time to, to make a choice in that area? So it might be a high value automobile, or it could be a decision about insurance. And just being in the consideration set starts to become 
become relevant and important. But you got to get that measure of impact. It's your outcome. It's your thing that that you created. It's that result. And there's no use in gathering data about what you did if you can't compare it to whether or not it worked. And so that worked variable obviously has to be recorded in some way. And so you got to get you got to get metrics around that. You should be asking about that. And then finally, there's this idea of balancing spend versus impact and reach. And uh, do those three things come together efficiently enough to make this type of marketing worthwhile? And in many cases, that's best defined as a dollar value in, in the context of ROI. But it's got to be in a way that's standardized, that's standardized so you can compare it to your other channels. And so you got to have this position, this philosophy. And, and those three questions, that's the Portmaw strategy. It's the thing that we've found works really well for hundreds of brands and, and hundreds of campaigns. It's putting that overlay of those three questions on it. And so what are the things that you got to ask? Well, the metrics that become an important archive of that tend to have two different categories. The metrics that are an important archive of all of that, they tend to come from those things that describe the campaign. They are the field staff recaps, those metrics. And we call that metadata in our benchmarking internally here. And then there is the feedback from the consumers about, you know, who were they and uh, what was their history with the brand and what was their future intention and what were the circumstances under which they gave you that feedback. And so those tend to be the second set of metrics and that's the survey data. And so we've got these meta metrics, we've got the survey data together, they compose a benchmarking database and as such, they help us define, you know, what should I be asking? And so let me spend some time in this episode sharing with you the exact variables that we collect. And then maybe in a future episode, we'll talk about the analysis that we can do with that. I can't help but talk a little bit about some of the analyses we do with the data today because it's exciting. It's fun to think about the implications of what you can do with good information. But let's just cover the metrics this time. And then we'll, and so you get those questions down. And next time we'll cover the, what you do with it. So um, we found on the meta side, you certainly want to record year. You want to get the, the year because it, do, it seems silly to do that in the short short term. But when you've been doing it for 10 years, it starts to become a good metric to have had. And we also have found it helpful to catalog the number of variants that are being measured. And so if you are promoting a particular brand of wine, is it a single variant of that wine or are there multiple? Or if it's a, a certain type of bread product and is it one flavor or is it multiple flavors? And getting a count of that can be helpful down the road because it helps you understand the degree to which you've got a diverse perspective of the brand overall, or you're talking about a specific use, specific flavor profile. On the meta side, we also found it's important to catalog what was the nature of the activity on site. There doesn't need to be details about the run of show or what the footprint was or what they were doing on the footprint. But at a minimum, we found it's important to know whether you're sampling or not. And when you're looking back 10 years later, you want to know whether this was a sampling campaign or a non-sampling campaign. So was it just interactions or was it sampling? And then if you are sampling, there's a big difference between wet sampling and dry sampling. And you want to make sure that's understood. Or in sometimes you might have both. It's under what circumstances are you doing each? If you're not familiar, you know, wet sampling, at least the definitions that we have here at Portma, uh, we define wet sampling as a, a product sample that is designed to be consumed there on site when they received it. Whereas a dry sample is a product sample where the consumer is expected to walk away and consume the sample at a later date. And so it usually has to do with packaging. And if you're pouring them a sample of coffee or if you're handing them a single serve 
can of the ready-to-serve coffee, that would be an example of a wet sample versus a dry sample. And then there's no sampling at all. It's purely an interaction. And there are certain products that don't warrant sampling. So insurance or finance products, those kind of things. It's not relevant for the category. But there are some interesting middle grounds where you get this idea of demonstration. And if you have a product that isn't necessarily sampled on site, but it's in by the consumer, you're not giving it to them to consume on site, but you're in some way helping them demonstrate what it's all about. Then we want to get that in as a as an aspect of wet sampling is this idea of clear demonstration. So that might relate to a uh, a grill about grilling food, or it might relate to uh, the blades and razors category. There might be a demonstration component on site of that. So you get the sampling type down because that's going to affect your throughput. It's going to affect the speed of engagement. It's going to affect how much time you spend with each individual. And that's ultimately going to relate to your ratios down the road of, you know, how many were you engaging per hour? How many were you engaging per event? And that's going to be important. So you want to record budget. Absolutely. Because the wonderful thing about a benchmarking database that has budget is you can start to get a sense of what are those costs per engagements and what is the average cost per day of activity? And how does that vary by venue or by activation type? Or how does it vary by industry? There's enormous amounts of value in the way the dollars relate to the execution. And we'll talk more about that later, but you want to get a record of budget. And then It's important to have a measure of the product price point. So what are you selling or what does the product sell for to the consumer? And what is that price point? And that matters because you won't always have the ability to benchmark or compare to the exact same product categories. You might have a very robust database in a number of categories, but you don't have a good database, let's say, in automotive, or let's say you're, you don't have it in candy, for example. And so you've got to figure out what's a comparable, what's a, what's a comparable industry or a product that allows me to, to get a good benchmark, a good point of comparison. And in some cases, the best way to do that is based on price point, because the way consumers and the way we think about what we're buying oftentimes has to do with a range of, of dollar amounts. We might, we might respond to a sub $10 purchase a lot differently than we're going to respond or what's involved in the consideration set for a a purchase north of $100. And because of that, we can group $10 or less products and to see how people respond and what the dynamics were for those kinds of activations versus products that were selling for more than $100. Related to the SKU price, you want to get a measure of the annual customer value. Annual customer value is going to also relate in a lot of ways to how you've made decisions around what you're willing to spend per engagement. It's a good part, an important piece when it comes to long-term strategy, certainly for marketing channels. And if you ever hope to get a positive ROI at a minimum, you've got to be engaging people for less than what they're worth to you. And if nothing else, your annualized customer value measure can simply be the, the average SKU price. So what it sells for multiplied by the number of purchases in a given year, if you're talking about CPG, for example, or, or the like. But you want to get that down in your database. And when you're talking about archiving this, this overall activation, those are some important meta metrics that I've found is going to matter. And then from there, you want to get the number of event days that you went ahead and executed. You want to get a good record of that. So you want to know, you know, was I was this budget and these this activation about 10 event days or was it about 1,000 event days? And getting that measure. And then you also want to get a sum of attendance because you can sum, you can divide the attendance by your number of event days to get a sense of what was the average attendance per day. And that can tell you a lot about, for example, an off-premise activation, whether it was mostly festivals or whether it was mostly retail stores. And it gives you a good reference point, again, as a, as a category. Now, 
I've found it very important, and it's so rarely measured, but I found it really important to get a measure of activation hours and staffing hours. What does that mean? So, so you want to know, it's one thing to say I activated for 10 days, but it's very different if those were two hours per day versus 10 hours per day, because that's obviously 20 hours of activity versus 100 hours of activity, or it's a five-fold difference. And so understanding how many hours you are activating on any given day, or even an average per day, that you can multiply by a number of event days is going to give you a total activation hours count. And then when you want to look at efficiency measures like number of engagements and the like, you can divide that by activation hours to get a sense of how many you were engaging per hour. Now, there's an even finer point to that, which is, well, how many staff were working to do those engagements in any given hour? Because I could have two hours a day for 10 days with one person. And so I got 20 hours of consumer facing time, or I could have two hours a day for 10 days with 10 people per day working the event. And that's going to give me 200 hours of consumer facing time. And so again, when you're looking at an accurate measure of average efficiency, if you can get that down to the staffing hours level. So for every hour of staffing, I'm averaging 4.9 engagements or 12.9 engagements, or 22 engagements, then you're going to have a much more accurate measure of benchmarking, which serves as a great point of reference for how you're doing or how you did in a recap. But it also serves as a great prediction tool when you're trying to figure out, okay, I got to budget this program and I need to get to a million people. How many staffing hours do I need to do that based on historical averages? So getting to that hours and staffing hours is also kind of a big deal. Now, for our meta database, we also record on-site sales. If people are hand-selling, we like to know those conversion levels. And then we record interactions, so number of people that we got to. There's an interesting dynamic around interactions versus engagements. And let me give you my quick hit on that, and you can take it for what it's worth. Interactions are the number of people you got to, and engagements are what you did with them when you were interacting with them. So if somebody, if your run of show kind of had a brand ambassador engagement with a sample experience, they would play a game and then they would go and listen to, uh, or, or they might have a video experience. So that would be one interaction with three engagement points. It's almost like a touch point is the engagement piece. Sometimes those are intermixed and it's not very clearly measured. It's oftentimes not defined correctly when it comes to what field staff are expected to report in their recaps. So we don't try to, to thread that needle too carefully. And instead, we're trying to get to that number of people, that interaction count number of people that you engage. It's obvious, It's that ultimate reach measure that we look at everything else by. And then you got number of samples that were distributed if it's a sampling program. And you want to make sure that your number of samples distributed is not the only measure because you've got to either cross-reference that with interactions or at least the number of people that received a sample because in many cases they might have two or three samples, a uh, single consumer. And especially if you have multiple variants that you're marketing on site, or giving people a chance to experience on site, then you want to know that number of people sampled versus the number of samples distributed. And you certainly want to know that if it's going to be different than interactions. Those, depending on how you've set things up, they can all vary a little bit. And those are the core metrics. Those are the things that really matter. Now, in our analysis, when we're analyzing for ROI, we'll come to an estimate of incremental customers. And we record that in our meta database as well, because it allows us to look at a conversion rate, look at, hey, what were the number of people you got to versus the number of people that represent an opportunity for incremental revenue as incremental customers. And that's an important distinction. So we record that in here so we can look at that and, and track it. And then we also record our ROI outcome. So what is that percent return on investment for this campaign? And we record that in the benchmarking database 
as well. So that is the nature of our benchmarking database. We have some categories in there. We, we use some overall categories for industry, and then we have some subcategories. So an overall category might be adult beverage or household appliance, or it might be CPG. And then a subcategory might be food for kids or juice, or it might be, if you're talking about household appliance, it might be electronics, those kind of things. So we have those categories. And then we also use an industry classification called uh, code called NAICS. And I think it stands for North American Industry Classification System, NAICS. It's a uh, some government standards, some standards used by the census. And we believe it's important to have those categorizations attached to campaigns so we can really understand different ways of segmenting it. And there's also a competitor to that is standard industry classification, SIC codes, SIC codes, which I think is a little less robust than NAICS. But either way, we use those classifications. We attach those codes to each campaign in the metadatabase as well, so we can understand and give people the ability to slice and dice the data by those also. So that's our metadatabase. Those are the, when we ask this question of what should I ask, what questions should I ask of my field staff, it's ultimately geared towards me being able to populate a benchmarking database with the metrics I just went through. And that's how we do it. So next episode, I'm going to talk to you about survey data. And what are those survey questions that we ask? What are they all about? And believe it or not, there are only three questions that matter. At the end of the day, if I can get feedback from consumers on three questions from them directly, a three-question survey, I can get it done in like 20, 25 seconds, and I got all the information I need for a very robust analysis. So I'll share that with you. But we actually have 11 variables in our survey database that we keep track of. And I'll share with you all of those in the next episode. And then after that, we'll get to the fun stuff and talk about what we do with all this information to make better business decisions. So that's the piece. Thanks for hanging in there and listening through. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope this is going to give you some good information and help you get a better sense of, of what might be the strategy behind what you're asking field staff to record and go ahead and listen to this episode again and, and write down each of those metrics. And if you have any questions around what they mean or any nuances around it, go ahead and reach out to us on Twitter at portma.com or at portma or portma.com. Uh, we'd be happy to answer any of those questions. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're going to subscribe so you keep catching future episodes and I hope you're having a great day. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. Tune in next time as Chris Clegg continues demystifying data. Meantime, head over to demystifyingdata.co to learn more.